Welcome to the Evolution Exchange USA podcast, where we bring together the most knowledgeable technical leaders to delve into their passions and explore the challenges that they face in the industry. My name is Austin Roden, and I'm a recruitment specialist over at Evolution Recruitment Solutions, and I am dedicated to connecting businesses with the exceptional data engineering contract talent. Today, I am honored to be your host for this episode. Today, I will be joined with Nitin Pillai and Brian Skvarch, where we're going to sit down and essentially talk about how they not only got into tech, but the decisions that they went through into becoming technical leaders. First up, let's go with Brian. Yeah, thanks for having me, Austin. Um, yeah, I'm Brian Skvarch, um, Director of Data Engineering for a company called Bloomscape. Uh, basically, what we do is take plants uh, out of Miami and send them to your front door um, intact and in good shape. Um, you know, been in data for about 10 years, um, really sort of a homegrown uh, data engineer and not, not a ton of uh, real educational background, um, but someone who's really just been able to learn things on the fly and kind of pick them up as I go. So, yep, again, thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. And then Nitin. Thanks, Austin, for having me. So I currently work as a director of engineering in an AI startup called uh, Data Miner, which is pretty close to going IPO. Um, so what we actually do overall, what Data Miner actually does as a company is that the whole mission is to like, how do we prevent, like, say, the next 9-11 kind of like big attacks from happening, right? Um, so the vision for the company is as long as there is a digital footprint of data anywhere on the internet, the World Wide Web, or even the deep dark web, we have the right AI models in place and we have the right data sources that we ingest. We can ingest those data signals. Like right now, we are ingesting more than 500 different data sources. The main ones being, of course, like you know, Twitter and all the social media and Reddit. But you know, we are also getting sensor data. We are transcribing 911 calls in real time. So we ingest all the data. We analyze them. We run our, our computer vision and NLP models on top of it. We detect intent if it's of some kind of like high-risk event, and then we route those events at they're called alerts. We route those alerts in real time in subsequent latency to the right folks of interest. So because of this whole pipeline that the company has actually developed, we work across like mainly four verticals. The first one is the public sector, like Department of Defense. So they get to know what's happening where in the world. Second one is all the news channels like BBC, CNN, Al Jazeera. They're all our customers. Before it becomes news, we get to know what's happening. So we send it to them and then they send the human reporters onto the scene to like uh, write the news. And the third thing is financial sector, right? If there is any kind of like uh, high risk events happening, say like a oil leak, British Petroleum has an oil leak in the Pacific Gulf. This will serve as really good like trading signals to a con trading model. So we send out signals directly to like uh, financial companies. And finally, we also do a lot of AI for social good, where we give our software for free to the United Nations to like mobilize humanitarian response. And my background is mainly distributed systems and machine learning. I have a very traditional background, bachelor's and master's in um, computer science and uh, a second master's very recently in data science and ML from uh, UC Berkeley. Um, and before most of my career, I worked at Microsoft. Um, mainly working on very similar thing, cybersecurity, intersection of cybersecurity and AI uh, for the Department of Defense, unlike top security contracts. Okay, very cool. Yeah, thank you for that. Glad to have both of you on here. Um, sounds like it's kind of exciting because you guys are both from, you know, different industries doing different things. 
Um, so, uh, like I mentioned, uh, Brian, um, we were talking before you said you kind of had like a non-traditional path to getting into your role. Like, yeah. where'd you go to school? How'd you get into that? Yeah. So I, I went to the university of South Florida, uh, go Bulls. Um, I was actually, uh, an athletic trainer through mm-hmm. uh, my bachelor's, my first master's. And then I, I went back, um, and got my MBA at a period of time after that. Um, but my, my kind of journey into to data engineering uh, started really at the forefront of the, the business. So, you know, business analyst working in healthcare, um, that progressed into being a little bit more of like a BI developer for a tech startup in the, the AR VR space. Um, and then really where I think I got my education, if you will, in data engineering is once I moved into consulting, um, I really found myself in an environment with, you know, thousands of, of true data professionals where I was able to learn and grow from. Um, that really catapulted me to the level where I feel like I, I'm comfortable in leading teams and I'm able to be kind of an, a, a director level employee that has real impact kind of through the entire spectrum of, of the kind of data engineering and really data realm. Okay, very cool. And then Nitin, what about yourself? So I worked for a startup like right after my first graduate school, master's in computer science. Uh, we were doing mainly voice and IT kind of things. And I joined Microsoft like almost like 12, 13 years back, where I spent like almost 11 years. Uh, traditional software engineering, not data engineering initially, traditional software engineering, working on the anti-spam engine behind Exchange. Uh, after that, worked on like Office 365, mainly again, like, you know, making like software products like uh, Outlook.com. Like, so if you guys have used Hotmail in the past, I actually worked on the anti-spam engine behind uh, both Exchange and Outlook.com. Uh, my introduction to data engineering mainly happened when I joined the Office 365 security and signals team. So at Microsoft, so what we were responsible for is that if you use any Microsoft product uh, inside the Office 365 suite, like Skype, SharePoint, Teams, the one we are using right now, uh, Exchange, uh, OneDrive, anything like that, it was our team that made sure that your data is safe and secure from hackers. And in order to do that, now traditionally, we had this insecurity realm. We had this concept of a perimeter. It's basically you have firewalls, you have defense mechanisms, and you have security engineers that are guarding the firewall and folks like from entering that kind of perimeter, right? But with the invention of the cloud, there is really no real defined perimeter. I mean, it's everywhere, right? You can like either kind of exploit an app to gain credentials. You can do social engineering to like gain credentials, like a real user's, user's credentials. So what we had in the past at Microsoft was like, we collect all the logs if a hacker does intrude and we just look at the data mainly from a compliance standpoint and we produce a report. But then we kind of, found that it was not really efficient at all because we are detecting the presence much later after the attack has happened and the attacker is done, right? I mean, if it's an attacker from Russia or China, any, anywhere, they will cause the damage and they will go away and there's nothing we could do to it. So this was like around like six, seven years back where we were like, you know, why don't we convert this into a data problem? It's all about like we have security telemetry we have like petabytes of like security telemetry that comes from all these machines in Office 365 around the world. How do we actually analyze all this data in like real time? And now it's a pure data engineering problem, right? So it's uh, a few fields here. The first one is data engineering because we need to collect all this data. 
Then there's a lot of like machine learning, like AI algorithms that run on top of the data because it ha all has to be learning from historical data to predict which event is actually anomalous or not, right? Is this regular behavior or is it like hacker activity? So because of that kind of like team and things like that, it really sparked my interest in like data engineering and machine learning. And at least at that time, data engineering was not really taught in any schools. Or just like Brian said, right? Uh, yeah. The best data engineers I've seen, at least in my career, are people who are actually self-taught. Because it's not, I mean, if you study computer science, you get the basic concepts. But data engineering is such a new field that it's not very new anymore because it's been a, like, you know, at least more than half a decade. But yeah. But the best people are like people who actually learn by experience, like experimenting and things like that. But that really sparked my interest. I was doing a lot of like uh, courses on Coursera and Udemy and things like that. I was spending like more than 20 hours a week just like training myself and getting better and better at it. And I had the practical exposure because I was designing those systems at Microsoft. But then I was like, if I'm spending so much time, why don't I maybe look into a structured curriculum? And that sparked my interest in finding a structured curriculum. And that's when I saw uh, this part-time master's program. And I saw a part-time master's at UC Berkeley in data science. It was a three-year program. And thanks to COVID that it went completely online. So I didn't have to fly from New York City to Berkeley every yeah. month. Uh, and that's how I got my foot into data engineering and machine learning and data science. Well. Wow. And then, uh, Brian, for you, you said that uh, you were doing some consulting and you were doing some BI development. Like, was there like ever like an aha moment? This is something that I really want to pursue with that. Or did you just kind of like fall into it? Like, what was that like? Yeah, yeah, sure. I think for me, kind of the, the aha moments um, were in a couple places. One is like once you start to be able to quantify like, you know, the actual effort that you put in and like ROI for businesses, like that's a big aha moment, like. Like, I can tell you one that happened sort of recently. Um, you know, we we internally, we obviously we ship plants and we ship plants in the winter. And you can imagine a tropical plant in Florida uh, will die if it gets below a certain temperature. And so there's a lot of challenges in how do you actually get something from A to B in winter weather uh, successfully. And so internally, we created um, a weather algorithm this year that basically told us a couple of things. One was like, when do we put heat packs in to try and try and get it there? And then when do we actually just say to customers like, hey, we're not we're not shipping to your zip code right now. It just won't make it there alive. Um, and, you know, year over year, our, our error rates and the, the amount of plants that died in kind of transit like got cut in half. And it's sort of things like that for me that are really cool. It's like, OK, well, I was able to to, to you know, type on a keyboard and create this thing on a computer and the actual like real life effect is that you know we had half as many issues as we had when we weren't doing this previously and and for me like the reason i i really like data engineering is like that's kind of the whole point right you're taking things that have happened um augmenting it with some things that you think may happen and you're you're actually able to affect a business in a way that drives it forward yeah yeah, I've talked with quite a few people that have, you know, non-traditional paths to becoming data. Just like Nitin was mentioning too, like, and, and you yourself, like there wasn't exactly a core curriculum for that in a while. So you talk to other people that were, you know, in economics and studying law. And then as they get into studying things, they're like, kind of like, hey, kind of have a knack for that. This is something, you know, that's good to study. I was watching Moneyball not that long ago. And it's like that guy that they brought in, he was an economics major, but he's studying all the data. And putting it into play, you know, it's 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 really really interesting, especially for me because I talk to so many, 
engineers on the lower level, a lot of times it's kind of hard to translate how their experience and what they've done in school and everything actually makes them a data engineer or a data scientist or, or any of that. So no, it's, it's really interesting. So, and both of you um, have been managing teams. Uh, Nitin, what was kind of your path to getting into management? Like, was that something, another one of those things that you were just kind of drawn to and fell into, or that did you pursue that? What was that like? So this is a very interesting topic because uh, I actually wanted to be an individual contributor uh, for a very long time, even though I had opportunities to move into management at different points in my career, I kind of held on to being uh, a software engineer at like different levels. Um, I was mainly afraid that, you know, I'm going to lose my technical edge, right? Once you move off of like coding into even a manager, not even a director, right? I mean, you have lesser, you know, in more meetings, you're in lesser number of like uh, time cycles where you can actually really have dedicated time to code. Um, but what happened in my case at Microsoft was at one point, um, we got this massive contract called Jedi, uh, Joint Enterprise Defense Infrastructure. It's a $10 billion contract that Amazon was supposed, like the favorites to win, but Microsoft won this contract. Um, and it was mainly to secure our nation's infrastructure against like cyber attacks and things like that. And we were forming a brand new team next to the Pentagon in Reston, Virginia. And I was just given an opportunity to like, you know, if you want to get your feet into management, go and try this out because you have the best knowledge here and already kind of like uh, working as an engineer in the team that is protecting all of Office 365 from hackers. And you know how these things are done. Now we need you to kind of port this knowledge into the stop security air gap defense cloud. And we are mainly hiring only like cleared engineers who have like top mm -hmm. security clearance. And so I went in there and I was going through my clearance with the CIA too at that time and uh, hired a bunch of engineers. And that's how I really get got my foot into management. But before I joined Microsoft, like very early on in my career, because I was working for a 250 person startup, I went into management very organically at that time too. Because they, I was getting to a point in my career where uh, they needed someone to actually manage a bunch of junior engineers. But being a small startup, there was no real structure between a manager and lower level engineers. I was coding. I was coding and I was managing, which was very different at Microsoft. Because once I did the management part, then I was really removed from the day-to-day -day coding. The only way in which I would keep myself kind of my feet wet uh, in coding was not taking on critical projects that will block the velocity of the engineers in my team because I'd be probably the slowest person since I'm, my time was so fragmented between meetings and other responsibilities. So I would hear out all the major pain points of the team. And one of the things I did in my previous team was um, I kind of implemented this thing called as like a distributed tracing framework where you can inject data into a data pipeline to monitor how the data flows through the pipeline and figure out the latencies and things like that. So this was not critical, right? This is not directly related to the product. So I could take my time to actually do this thing, but once it was done, it provided a lot of value to the company too. And so that's how I got into the whole management chain. And then I had, I kind of figured that, you know, it's, 
I was able to give more value to the company and to the organization by bringing my technical expertise into the table and by being able to crystallize and articulate like really difficult concepts in a very simple language to senior leaders and upper management, which is a skill I kept on like fine tuning and fine tuning because the higher up you grow, uh, it's all about stakeholder management and what really ties into business value of the company and what really brings in value to the company to give a competitive edge in the market, uh, the right use of technology. So I basically got this new opportunity at Data Miner when I actually left Microsoft, where I joined as a director managing multiple teams. And now the stakes are much higher, where I'm continuously like presenting to execs and senior leadership and really kind of formulating the vision of my charter and my org on how can data miner be competitive in this like AI marketplace. So that's how I transitioned from an individual contributor to a manager to a director. Wow. And then Brian, what, what about your path? Yeah, my, my path, um, slightly different. Um, so, you know, my, my time at, uh, the first startup I worked with, um, kind of towards the end of that. I, I sort of moved into a platform management type role. So, you know, we were a very slim, uh, very tight team. Um, but that didn't change the fact that we had an entire data platform that needed to be maintained. It needed to be built out, needed to be developed. And so um, that, that my first foray into management was really just kind of product, project, platform. Um, but it, it, it started to build the skills that become very important as you kind of move up and start um leading and developing others, you know, things like, um, how do you prioritize certain projects? How do you estimate time and actually give like deadlines? Um, you know, how do you decide what's important? And so I, I kind of took those skills with me to the consulting realm. And from there, I started into leading actual projects for our clients. So, you know, teams of five to 10, nothing crazy, but, um, really just sort of making sure that our projects were on time, our projects were successful, the technical delivery made sense, our solutions made sense, things of that nature. Um, and as time progressed there, I kind of moved into a little bit more of a tech leadership, competency leadership type role, where I had a team of uh, 10 to 15 consultants underneath me, um, which kind of presents a really interesting challenge in that realm because you know those, those 10 to 15 consultants may be on eight to 10 different projects each one bringing their own challenges. But I think more importantly, um, each consultant brings a very different level of experience. So there, there'll be people on my team that have 25 years in the business. There'll be people on my team that had, you know, two days right out of our consultant bootcamp. Um, and so that, that kind of really prepared me to, to kind of understand the concept of um, aligning people to their strengths and aligning people to, to opportunities that will actually allow them to succeed. Um, I think I've just start, tried to carry that forward into where I am now. Um, you know, I moved into this director role a little under a year ago. Um, and really what the the key things were, it was a really attractive uh, opportunity to build out what I feel is a scalable data platform, um, as well as build a team around that platform. Um, you know, I think for me, like the reasons as to like why I get into management, um, it kind of goes back actually to the time that I was not in data engineering. Um, when I was an athletic trainer, I used to treat patients in an orthopedic clinic, kind of like post-surgical. So you can imagine someone has like a knee surgery, they go through physical therapy for a period of time um, after to get back. And 
you know, that one-on-one development that like really seeing people grow through that, that recovery process was something that I really missed when I became an individual contributor. And when I really started in data engineering, you know, you don't have that same sort of one-on-one effect, uh, when you're writing code as you can, when you're actually like leading people. Um, and so I, I just try and take that principle forward and look at like, with the people that are on my team, how do I grow these people? How do I get them to be able to achieve their career uh, goals? Um, and how do I make sure that they're engaged in the work that they're doing? Yeah, absolutely. No, that's that's really cool. So again, uh, just it, it's just it's it's funny because I talk to a lot of guys, and it's you know typically oh I started at one company right out of school where I studied computer science and I just worked my way up. I've been there 17 years, and then you know everybody else is kind of a hodgepodge of oh I came through this path. So um, I suppose if the question would be, if you were to give like one piece of advice to somebody who's aspiring to kind of go that path, knowing what you know now, um, what what would that one thing be? Like, hey, I really want to be a senior leader in a tech organization in data. So we'll start with Nitin. If you just like one little tidbit that would give you like it's a good piece of advice. So one thing which I tell the folks that uh, in my org that I'm either advising them on going up the individual contributor route or the management path is first try to do some introspection on your own skill sets on where do you provide the best value, right? Do not, especially in this particular century, like this particular age on, in tech companies, Management doesn't necessarily mean a promotion. You have individual parallel tracks as like staff engineer, principal engineer, senior principal, and distinguished engineers, right? It's the same as going up the director VP kind of like path. So don't think of like prestige or uh, like people leadership or management is like a step level up from an engineer. It's not true. It's actually not accurate at all. Even the pay is the same. So think about where you can bring the best value to the company at that point of time. Always try to do some introspection on what do you bring to the table? What's the best value that you bring to the table yourself? And ask yourself, why do you want to be in management? Like if if your passion is solving deep technical problems, solving the most complex challenges, it's better for you to be an individual contributor because your skills and your happiness, because you do spend much more time at work than you do with your own partners at home, it's better to be an individual contributor. But if you gain more happiness by growing people, right? Because there is no I in management, it's all about we. So if you gain more happiness by growing people and deriving happiness through what your team is achieving by being a force multiplier, by helping grow people, and by being able to articulate really complex concepts in really simple terms, then it's a good way for you to try out uh, people management. And people actually, very recently, I've seen this thing, they keep switching back and forth. I mean, sometimes you go from individual contributor to people management, but check it out if you are cut out for it. And, And sometimes, even if you like it, maybe you think that you're not getting enough expertise in the latest and the greatest technology. So sometimes people move back to being a principal engineer, learn the technology and things like that really well, and they move back. So the back and forth is very common these days. Yeah. And then um, thank you for that, by the way. I, I agree too. It's almost like that leadership path kind of picks you rather than you, you know, pick it. 
Um, but yeah, sorry, uh, uh, Brian, uh, what would your piece of advice be? Yeah, I think for me, um, understanding that kind of everything that it cr- comes across your desk is an opportunity for something. Um, you know, as as you gain more experience in data engineering, you understand that not everything we do is fun. Um, there's a lot of there's a lot of pieces that are mundane, they're brutal, but they play a part in the entire kind of process. You know, so um, understanding that like those are opportunities to learn too. Those are opportunities to get better. Um, is something that I think we all need to to really kind of keep in sight. Um, and the other the other piece is just like on that kind of opportunity train is is understanding how to evaluate them. Um, it's something that's served me really really well in my career, and it's it's something that's allowed me to to change course, move away from something I was I was actually like formally educated in. It's allowed me to navigate through different sectors, different job roles, kind of all of those things, because I was able to spot opportunity and then capitalize on them. Um, so I think if you're able to kind of appreciate things that aren't the most fun and then identify ways to continue to add value, I think you'll be pretty successful. Yeah, absolutely. Being able to identify opportunities, is that's it's kind of a skill that you can learn, but it's kind of something you have to kind of stumble through sometimes for especially from some of the people that I've talked with, they've kind of stumbled their way on good opportunities and uh, stumbled their way into bad opportunities too, but it's all, <laughs> it's all valuable learning points. Um, cool. Well, thank you guys for that. Um, I guess uh, the last thing I really want to talk about a little bit, um, well, I guess two last things. Um, are there any, if you had to pick like one particular challenge that you see in your aspect of the industry, because you know, obviously uh, completely different sides of the different industries, uh, completely different, um, but both still under the data engineering, data analytics, you know, you're on that same totem pole somewhere. Um, what do you see as like your one biggest slash most common challenge? And um, what do you think the path to overcoming that would be? Uh, Brian, we'll, we'll start with you. Yeah, I think there's going to be increased pressure to do more with less. I think that's kind of a, a common theme that's that's continually happening. Um, you know, I, I see that every day in the in the startup realm. I mean, we are we are consistently kind of uh, punching above our weight from a, a resource perspective. Um, I think creativity is a big thing that's going to help us get through that. I think leveraging the tools that continue to come out is going to be another big piece. Um, you know, that's that's sort of like a, a soft skill thing. Um, I also see there see just from like maybe a little bit more of a technical perspective. Um, you know, data privacy is talked about a lot more in Europe and through some of the, the things that are out there uh, law wise. Those are starting to slowly get implemented in the US. And I think for people that are in kind of similar realms to myself, e-commerce and things like that, where you are holding kind of PII, um, there's going to be a, a reckoning where you're going to really have to have your stuff together as far as leash and requests, access requests, and things like that, that I think is going to be a real big challenge across um, the industry. Okay. And then, Nitin, what, what are you seeing on your end? I would say if one of the main things, because I used to work mainly in traditional software engineering for most of my career, when you get a software engineering problem, it's much more articulated cleanly that you have a set of requirements and you go and build a system for that, right? In data engineering, the challenge which I've seen the most is that data engineering is not the outcome, it's not the product, right? The reason we do all these things is either the company 
or the senior leaders or whoever is getting the business insights from the data, that's the outcome. And say you're building a recommendation engine, right? So the recommendation engine or anomaly detection, whatever you're building is the outcome. It's very important when you start on any kind of data engineering project to really kind of get top-down leadership support because many times I've seen that you start with like a very weak kind of like project requirement and what's supposed to be done and you will spend like months and months of time and at the end you're not really getting into a tangible result because you build a data engineering pipeline, you build a bunch of fancy data science models on top of it, but it's not really what management really wants, right? So one thing which needs to be a common theme, which I've seen in data engineering, ML, data science kind of like domain, is that number one, failure should not be considered like, you know, I mean, experimentation is very, very paramount. You have to experiment, you have to keep doing more experiments to find out which one actually works. It's not like traditional software engineering where you get a bunch of requirements and you go write the code and that's exactly the product that you get sold to the customer, right? And many times in data engineering, things don't work as expected because the models either don't work or maybe the data was not right. And another theme which I see in data science kind of domain is most of the people are more interested in actually going and writing the new data science model or the machine learning model. But the fact of the matter is that 80% of the work is actually data engineering and not data science because you have to build the data pipelines. You have to clean the data. Like what Brian said, right? There's a lot of dirty work, like, you know, which is not the most like uh, fun work to do. But if you don't have the right data, then no amount of sophistication in ML models is going to get you the right result. There is a saying in our field, garbage in, garbage out. So you need to make sure that the data is clean, the data has what you need. And so that's very important. Right, awesome. Yeah, those are both, uh, I've heard that quite a bit. Again, I talk with data engineers, uh, engineering directors uh, across the board. All right, thanks again for sharing and we'll leave it there for today. This has been the Evolution Exchange USA podcast. I want to take this opportunity to thank Brian and Nitin for joining us and sharing their insights as well as their thoughts uh, we hope you can join us next time on the Evolution Exchange podcast. Once again, if you're hiring for data engineers or looking for a new opportunity, feel free to get in touch with us over here at Evolution. Also, if you or anyone you know would like to be featured on a future podcast, please drop me a message. I'm Austin Roden. You can find me on LinkedIn or email me directly at austin.roden at evolutionjobs.us. You can also visit us over at evolutionjobs.us to check out our USA website, I want to say thanks again to our guests, and most importantly, thanks to you guys for listening.